James chapter 4. I'm reading from uh, verse 4. We've been reading these verses for the last couple of weeks. I'm going to just continue looking at them this morning. He gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So I, I, I quite simply want to look at drawing near to God this morning. And uh, remember, we're looking at these ten positive steps that James encourages his, his friends. He's trying to encourage his friends and say, these are positive things that we can do so that we don't, we are not worldly in our Christianity, that we are not being stained by the world. These are the positive things that we can do, the positive steps that we can take. And remember, I used the image of James wants us no longer to walk in the flesh, but he wants us to walk by the Spirit. He wants us to grow up. He wants us to be strong in Christ. And so these are the things that he says we need to give ourselves to so that we can no longer walk in the flesh, but walk by the Spirit. And the first thing he said that we should do is submit ourselves to God. And we had a look at that. The second thing I had a look at last week was where he says resist the devil. And the third thing this morning is this wonderful uh, encouragement to us, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And the first thing I want to just highlight this morning is that we take the initiative as believers. We take the initiative, the first step, to draw near to God. And the promise is here that as we draw near to God, He would draw near to us. I just want to make it quite clear again, this is not in terms of salvation. We're not talking about Salvation. God initiates salvation towards us. All right? That's quite clear from Paul and the writings in the New Testament is that God initiates salvation. He reaches into our lives. He, while we're still dead in our sin, He reaches into our lives and He saves us out of darkness into light. And there are other scriptures like James 1.18, which we, we looked at right at the beginning. It says, out of His own will, out of his own will. James even says the same thing, just a different language. Out of his own will, God brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be the first fruits of his creatures. And so James has said it already in James chapter 1. God takes the initiative with us, with salvation. Uh, 1 John four nineteen. We love, all of us love, because he first loved us. Amen? Again, the same thing. John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me, but I chose you, to, and appointed you that you go bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in my Father's name, he might give to you. So it's quite clear, I'm not talking about salvation, James is not talking about salvation. I think, because God does take the initiative with us in terms of salvation, the biggest mistake we can make as Christians is to expect God to obey for us and take the initiative for us in terms of obedience. And that's a great mistake to make. We take this first step in terms of obedience, in terms of our own lives. And I remember I said to you as we resist the devil, the devil wants you to remain inactive. The devil wants you as a Christian to be passive because a backslidden, inactive, passive Christian is exactly the kind of Christian that the devil likes. Because it's not doing anything. That kind of Christian does nothing to force the kingdom of darkness back. Alright? So that's why James is encouraging us, it's an active allegiance to the banner of Christ in our lives. It's an obedience that says, yes Lord, I am determined as much as I can by the power of the Holy Spirit to obey your word in my life, to live for you, 
and to see your kingdom come in me. And as your kingdom comes in me, so through me, it affects the lives of my family and my friends. It's an active thing. So James, he makes it quite clear with this little verse, draw near to God and he will draw near to you that we are take, we need to take the first step. And that's both a command to us, the, the language is imperative, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Uh, at the same time, it's an incredible privilege and it's a hard call that God would say, the God of all the universe, the God of all creation, the omnipotent one, the all-knowing, all-seeing, uh, all-wise God promises us that as we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. That is an incredible thing. It is an amazing thing to just sit and contemplate and say, God, you have promised that as I draw near to you, you who has created all of the universe, your promise is that you will draw near to me. Amen. And this offer is made available to every single one of us that is a believer. Every single one of us that has been washed by the blood. God extends this invitation to us. But it is an invitation that we can reject. And I had a look at it a couple of weeks ago. We reject it by our pride. We reject it by our arrogance. We reject it by saying, God, I can do this, this thing called life. I can do it on my own. And what does James remind us? God resists the proud, but he gives more grace to the humble. And so I want to encourage you, as I encourage myself, that really what God wants from us and desires from us is a contrite and a humble heart that is desperate for His presence that says every day, Lord Jesus, I need you. Can I just point you to this? The second thing I want to say is that this is a conditional promise. And the Bible is full of two kinds of promises. One, unconditional promises on the one hand and conditional promises on the other. This promise in James is a conditional promise. So I want to start just by reflecting on some unconditional promises in the Word, which are incredibly encouraging. The first unconditional promise I'd like to look at is that we are promised that our perseverance to the end is a secure thing. It's a promise from God to us that He will keep us, that He will not forsake us, that His hand will always be on our lives. Doesn't that encourage you? And I want to give you some scriptures. That final perseverance in our lives is an unconditional promise of God towards us. For example, when, when Jesus speaks of his sheep in John 10, 28, he says this, I give them eternal life that they will never perish. This is Jesus' promise to us, unconditionally. They will never perish. No one will snatch them from my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one will be able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. Now, I want you to be rooted in that in this church. That your final perseverance is sure that God will never let you be snatched out of His hands. Once saved, always saved. If we are saved, and we know what it means to be saved, always saved. And as you are saved, God's promise to you is... No one will snatch you out of my hand. What, what bliss, what assurance of our salvation. Amen? Two, John also prayed in John 17. 
Jesus, sorry, also prayed in John 17, verse 11, says this, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Father. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they might be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, pointing to Judas, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. It's Jesus' promise as well. And he, and he prays to his Father and says, Just as I kept them, Lord, you keep them. Our final perseverance is sure. Paul writes to the Philippian church, Philippians 1, 6, and I love the scripture. He says, I am sure of this. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus. Even Paul was convinced, no, the good thing that God has started in our lives is is eternally secure and we will persevere under the hand of God and one day we will be glorified but it is a sure work that God has begun in our lives. What about Romans 8.35? I've said this to you as as interesting as I have now teenage boys. When I was a teenager, I had incredible nightmares that I used to have at night. And uh, I dream of demonic things and dragons and stuff. And for, I was tormented for, for months. And my dad used to pray the scripture over me. And uh, for me, it's like the most powerful scripture in my life because it, it assures us of the love of God and that nothing can separate us from the love of God. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, the sword. He asks all these questions and he carries on verse 38 and says, For I am sure, (laughs) I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present or things to come, powers nor heart nor death nor anything else in all of the creation will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That is eternally, irrevocably, unconditionally sure in the scripture. The other thing I want to just mention before we look at the conditional promises that is absolutely eternally secure and sure is your righteousness, your perfect righteousness that is available to you in Christ. It is perfect. It cannot be improved upon. You are perfectly righteous now, and no matter what you do in the future, you will always be perfectly righteous because of the blood of Christ in your life as you believe by faith on that blood. And that's what Romans 4, 5 says. To the one who, do, who does not work, in other words, the one who does not work for his salvation, who does not try to earn his salvation, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, the, his faith is counted to him as righteousness. That's what we do. We believe his faith in the faith of Jesus. That's what Abraham did. Genesis 15 Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was saved at that moment. And we've looked at the life of Abraham over the last months. That's the conviction of Paul. It's the conviction of James. James never, as he writes this letter to his friends, he never once questions their salvation. He says, there's a justification that saves us. It is by faith. He says, there's a justification that does not save us. 
it is by works. And what he does is he uses the example of Abraham that we looked at and said that Abraham's works were a vindication of his faith. The fact that he obeyed God and God called him his friend showed that he was walking by the Spirit and he was learning obedience as he went and he was saved but he was growing more and more to be like a friend of God and the accolade over his life in Genesis 22 is God says to him, look at my friend Abraham. My friend, look how he loves me. And the implication for us as believers, those that are reading this book, James says God wants all of us to have that accolade over our lives. He wants all of us to become friends of God. And he says that happens as we walk by the Spirit. We are saved, but we learn obedience and we walk step by step. And God guides us and God's kindness speaks into our lives. And the accolade over God, hopefully at the end of our lives, is going to be see how they love me. My friends... See how they haven't given up. See how they've persevered in good times and bad times. Look how they love me. So, I want to speak secondly then about conditional promises in the Word of God. And there are many conditional promises. Do you know the first conditional promise I'd like to speak about is that there's a basis, there's a conditional promise given to us as a basis for a close relationship with Jesus. It's a conditional promise. Remember, I've been trying to use the illustration of marriage. The legal part of marriage doesn't guarantee I have a good relationship with, Je- with Jesus, <laughs> with Helen. It doesn't. It simply doesn't. For those of you who've been married, it doesn't matter that you signed a piece of paper. It's legally true. But for you to have a great marriage, what do you have to do? You love the person. You walk with them, you fight and you argue and you make up and you have kids together and you walk this life and it's hard sometimes and sometimes it's absolutely easy and pleasant and beautiful, but that's what makes a great marriage. And it's the same thing. The scripture says we might be saved, but there's a conditional promise that God extends to us in terms of having a close relationship with Jesus. And this is it. Jesus said it in John 15, verse 14. You are my friends if... You do what I command you. No longer do I call you my servants, for servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. The, the, the image is absolutely clear. God saying, if you want deep, Jesus saying, if you want deep friendship with me, if you want intimacy with me, if you want to know me at a much deeper level, then this is the key. Obey what I say. Do what I ask you to do, and you will know me intimately. So, I mean, it's quite obvious the word if always shows us a conditional promise. John 1.7 says this, and it talks about a basis of a relationship with God the Father, and it says this as well. If we walk in the light, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. There's a conditional promise to us in terms of walking closely with God. It's not questioning our salvation. It's inviting us to more. Is that clear? You hear what I'm saying? And so it's easy when there's a conditional promise connected with the word if, we can spot it straight away. But when we read this verse this morning in James, there's no if. It simply says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. But can you see that it is quite clear? It's a conditional promise to us. Draw near to God, then He will draw near to you. And so let's be people that take the initiative. I want to say as well, you know, sometimes God surprises us. Sometimes we'll be actually not feeling very close to Him. 
He just like intervenes in our lives and we have those God moments where we just know it's God and we haven't been looking for it and, and, and His Spirit just is so kind to us. Well, when that happens, I want to say that it, that simply is the kindness and the goodness and the grace of God to us when we have those amazing kind of epiphanies. But I, it's precisely because we experience those, those kind of things from time to time that we expect God to, to relate to us like that all the time, isn't it? And then we can become passive and we cannot be walking in obedience. And what I think James is trying to point us to is to Christian maturity. He's trying to point us as men and women that we never begin to grow as Christians until our faith is autonomous. What do I mean by that? Until your faith is your own. In that sense of being autonomous. Until my faith is my own. In other words, regardless of what your friend might believe, regardless of what the government might say, regardless of what anyone else might say, your faith is autonomous. It is yours. You stand on it. You know it is true for you. That's growing. Not looking for the approval of men. Not looking that your mom and dad might agree with you or that your cousin agrees with you. No, no, no. Your faith is Autonomous, God has spoken to you. It is yours. You own it. That's growing. You know, I've heard people say this sometimes in the church. Uh, when God moves, I just, I, I just, I want the Holy Spirit. And so, when God moves, I'll move. You know, that sounds fantastic, and it's a great, great desire. It's a noble thing. How many of you have heard of the Quakers? Heard of the Quakers? Quakers were were a God-fearing movement that had a desire for the Holy Spirit. And they wanted the Holy Spirit to move, but they didn't, at the same time, didn't root themselves in the Word. So they, they said, well, when God moves, we'll move. And so what began to happen in their meetings is that they just wait for God to move. And if nothing happened, they would do nothing. I have a Quaker house just up from our road in Nascot Wood. It is now a place where you can go to meditate. Doesn't matter what faith you have, doesn't matter if you don't have any faith, all you do is you go and meditate there and wait for something to happen. You hear what I'm trying to say? It's not just as simple as waiting for something to happen. There is an obedience that God wants from us and expects from us as we walk by the Spirit, whether we feel anything or not. Our feelings are very, very dangerous to go by. I can say... In, 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 in our relationship, I'm sure there are many times that Helen has said, I don't feel like loving this man. My kids probably, I don't feel like loving my dad right now. He's obnoxious. You hear what I'm saying? Don't go on your feelings. Feelings go up, feelings go down. Sometimes we feel like we're close to God. Sometimes we feel that we're far from Him. Don't go on your feelings. Root yourself in the Word. Be obedient. Okay, so there are two linked promises here. And what we looked at last week about resisting the devil could actually be linked with what is actually linked with what we're looking at today, drawing near to God. In fact, I think James could have written one long, big sentence which could have just read like this. Resist the devil, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And there is something true in that, isn't it? As we flee darkness, automatically we move towards light. And the great truth in John um, 1, 1 John 1, 5 says this, this is the message that we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. Isn't that true? So what John is saying, John is saying, um, 
is that as we embrace the light in our life, the darkness automatically has to flee. As you move towards God, automatically you're moving away from the evil one. Yes? Just as an aside, can I say this? I love the, the Scripture. The Scripture reveals different things about God to us, doesn't it? And the, the, the way that different books are written reveals something of who God is to us. That's why we need all of the Scripture. So, for example, the four Gospels, they all reveal something different about God to us that we need to understand, right? And just because we've um, ref, ref, re- referenced John in that little portion, I felt just to say this, to encourage all of us to embrace the whole of God's Word. John is the mystic of the New Testament. He's the Holy Spirit guy, John. And so if you read the Gospel of John, it's all about, it's kind of, it's mystical and uh, there is theology in it, but it's all this wonderful kind of experience of who God is. God is light and God is like this and it's more mystical, right? Paul, on the other hand, he's the great theologian of the New Testament, isn't he? And he's the thinker. My point to you is we need the theology and we need the mysticism. We need the wonder of God. We need it all. We, we need to embrace all. We need to embrace what John, what James is saying to us as well from his perspective. And he, like I said to you at the beginning, he was, came out of a Jewish background, but that doesn't mean that we can't learn from what he has, what he, what he says to us. We need all of the scripture. Amen? I want to encourage you to read all of the scripture. And I, I read this comment to A.W. Tozer talking about this thing of needing all of the scripture to speak into our lives. He said this, Christians ought to acknowledge publicly and with humility their great indebtedness to the Apostle John and to the Apostle Paul. Study the Gospel of John and you will concur with me that John is surely the mystic of the New Testament. Explore the epistles of Paul and you will concur with the assessment that Paul is surely the theologian of the New Testament. John and Paul were completely immersed in the love and the adoration of Jesus, the Christ, the eternal Son, the Savior of the world. Both John and Paul. So we may say Paul was the instrument and John is the music. <laughs> That's why I like this portion, this quote. Yeah? Paul is the instrument. John is the music. God himself was able to pour into the great mind and spirit of Paul the basic doctrines about the New Testament. But in John, God found harp-like qualities to sound forth devotion and praise. Paul then is the theologian who lays the foundation. John does not only really soar any higher than Paul, but he sings a bit more sweetly. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it not amazing, really, that there's much mysticism in Paul's theology and there's much theology in John's mysticism? We need all of the Scripture. Whether you are more mystical, whether you are more Holy Spirit kind of intuitive person, whether you're more thinking theological, we need each other. And we need God to speak through all of His Word to all of us. Amen? Okay. We need all of that. So let's get back to this thing of the promises being linked, resisting the devil, and drawing close to God. Just on reflecting this week, I I felt to say this. Remember, we looked at kissing the world. The implication is clear. The more you kiss the world, the closer you get towards the devil. The more you embrace worldliness, the more you embrace secular thinking, the more you embrace worldly ways, the more you move away from light towards darkness. It's quite clear. So the implication is what James is saying, one sure way of drawing near to God for all of us is simply to get as far away from the devil as we can. 
far away from worldliness, far away from godlessness, far away from a secular worldview to a place of knowing when we're going to be tempted and fleeing that place of temptation in our lives, and that's all different for every one of us. And as we flee temptation and we walk away from darkness, automatically we walk towards the light, we walk towards God. And that's what he's trying to encourage us in, in this chapter. Remember what I said to you last week, the devil will do everything he can to keep you distracted, inactive, in the place that you are. And James wouldn't be encouraging us to draw near to God. If it wasn't possible, he's not teasing us, he's not trying to make us feel bad. He's saying it to us because it is possible. Because it is possible by the Holy Spirit. And that's the great encouragement that he has to us. God is inviting you. God is inviting me. We can know him more intimately. We can know him personally uh, in an intimate way. His invitation is extended to all of us this morning. So then my concluding point is simply this. How close can we get to God? If it's a promise for us, if it's available to us, if we can embrace it by humility and uh, and, and resist being proud, how close can we get to God? The answer is simple. (laughs) As close as you want to get. (laughs) As close as you want to go. That's how close you can get to God. God doesn't respect people. So I want to encourage you, don't say to yourself, and I'm not saying you do this, but it's an example that I felt God challenged me on this week. Don't say to, to yourself, it's the job of ants, the pastor and all the other leaders, the guys in the church, it's their job to get close to God. It's their job to hear from Him on our behalf. It's their job. I mean, they've got the time. They've got all five days a week to sit around and pray and read the Word. It's their job to do it. Nothing could be further from the truth. And I want to tell you why. This is what I felt God say to me. Uh, Well, first let me make a comment here. You might not feel powerful, you might not feel useful, you might not feel greatly intelligent, you might not have money, you might not have power, you might not feel clever. Don't let any of those feelings stop you from drawing close to God. Okay? Romans 11.29 says this, and we know it well. The gifts and the calling of God are without Repentance. You can translate it another way. We could say this. The gifts and calling of God, God never takes them back. In other words, when He gifts you with something, when He gives something to you and says, it's my grace gift to you, He's not a mean God. He doesn't take it back if you behave well, or behave badly, and give it back to you when you behave well. It's irrevocable. He gives you, blesses you with a grace package, and He says, that's who you are, and you enjoy it. So, You might be gifted to teach. You might be gifted to preach. You might be a prophet. You might be a certain person that flows in the gifts of the Spirit. You might have many gifts. Can I say that to you? And this is what God said to me. That has nothing to do with you drawing close to God. Nothing to do. Your giftedness has nothing to do, or my giftedness has nothing to do with me drawing close to God. In other words, we all have 24 hours a day. We all have time that we can set aside to seek God. It's part of my routine because of what I'm called to do that I have, and I I don't say this boastfully, but I do spend many, many hours every week preparing for Sunday, praying, walking the park, saying, God, what do you want to say to the church? How do you want to encourage them? Do you think that 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 work counts as righteousness for me? 
No, it doesn't. It counts nothing of righteousness for, for, for me. There's nothing that, that doesn't ensure that I'm walking close with God. Do you hear where I'm going? Do you think that my preparation gets me closer to God? It doesn't. It is necessary. It's part of what I'm called to do. But this is what I felt God say to me this, this week and challenged me. What really, really counts for me drawing close to God is what happens outside of my preparation time. Just as it is for you, whatever it is in your life. What matters most is what I am doing with my own temptations. What matters most is what I'm doing with my own insecurities. What matters most is what I'm doing with my own worldly ambition to to seem to be successful. That's what really counts. So, it's the same for you as it is for me. We can get to be as close to God as we want. And so I want to put it to you this morning that our desire to get as close to God as we can, can we can be easily measured, equally measured, by our desire to flee from evil in our lives. Because that really is a measure, isn't it? We can say on a Sunday meeting like this, when the worship is wonderful like we had this morning, and there's a sense of God, God's presence, and He's just with us, we can say, oh God, I want to be close to you. And we can be completely sincere in that moment. In that moment we say, Jesus, I want to be close to you. And He hears us. You know what really counts? is when we leave and Monday to Saturday we are at work and we have to resist temptation at work alone and we have to control our temper when no one is looking alone just us and God that's what really counts and shows us how much we are fleeing darkness and embracing light. And I don't say that in a condemning way. You hear what I'm trying to say? That's, the, that's where the rubber hits the road. That's where it really counts. Is this what we do on Sundays? Is to encourage each other, to worship God together, to be instructed by the Word, to let the Holy Spirit minister to us. It's glorious. It's absolutely wonderful. But we live our lives Sunday to Saturday night. And that's what really counts. And I'm not talking about... Um, a monastic life. I, I, I said to some of our, uh, our friends, we had this wonderful experience of going up to the Lake District, and we, we encountered some people, some people that are becoming friends, that have tried to live a modern monastic life. And so they, they have lived in um, the Lake District, and they've prayed together every day, and led the Scripture every day, and they've kind of, in a sense, they're a community, and they've, they, they're 30 or 40, they were great disciples, but they're not... They're kind of withdrawn a little bit from, from the world. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't think God's calling us to do that. I think God is calling us to take His presence into the world every day. And how it really happens is as we stand Monday, Sunday to Saturday in the workplace. Yes? You know, the example of Abraham has been such a powerful one in my own life. He was called a friend of God not because he was an excellent prayer, now, people, we all love to pray. Did you know that Jesus said more about money than he did about prayer? <laughs> Isn't that a challenge? Go and have a look at the New Testament. Jesus spoke more about how we use our earthly financial wealth than he did about prayer. But we love to pray. And I'm not saying we mustn't pray. <laughs> Abraham wasn't commended because he was an excellent prayer. Abraham wasn't commended because he did the things he really liked doing. I had someone come to me recently and say, oh, you know, I just want to be free. 
all this church stuff. I just really want to do what I want to do. I just want to be free. I'm walking by the Spirit. I just want to be free. I just want to live. In other words, I just want to be selfish. I just want to be immature. I just want to do what I want to do. That is the language of children. That is not a language of mature adults that want to see the kingdom come. Jesus said, you will know me intimately. You are my friends if you do the things that I command you to do. That's what commanded Abraham. He gave up what was most precious to him in order to be obedient for his son, for for, for what God was calling him to do. So, lastly, and tomorrow I I would like to just have some more worship and ministry, yeah? Please get ready. So God then tests our desires. God will give us all a chance of seeing how close we really want to get to God. I think the truth is that if we're honest, we don't really want to get as close to God as we say we do. (laughs) I think that's the truth. And here are three ways I feel like God does give give us the opportunity to test ourselves. Not to test other people, but to test ourselves in terms of our own walk with God. One, do we really count it joy, all joy, when we fall into trials of all kinds? That's the great mega theme of this book, isn't it? Do we really count it all joy? In in other words, are we grumpy and moan when the hard times come? (laughs) I know I've been, in my life, I've been grumpy and I've moaned a lot when hard times come. But James is trying to encourage us, he's trying to say, now count it all joy when you fall into trials. There's a a way of, of relating to God at a much deeper level which overcomes those momentary troubles that we go through. Secondly, are we dealing with the sin that God's putting his finger in our lives on? Like I was trying to say this morning, are we really fleeing darkness and embracing light? Or are we kind of we're happy to compromise in some areas of our lives and try and make a truce with the devil? I want to say to you, you can never make a truce with the devil. Thirdly, are we obeying his words as he makes it plain to us? As he makes it plain to us. I felt also this thing. God doesn't take us from A to Z in one step. We want, to, we, want to, we want to be glorified. And this is the mistake so many make. We don't have a glorified body right now. We do not have the full, full, full package of the kingdom right now. Jesus said, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we live in the reality, as John Wimber said, we live in the reality of the now, but not yet. The fullness of the kingdom is still coming. We do not have glorified bodies. I cannot walk through a wall. I wish I could transport myself to uh, Hong Kong like that. I wouldn't have to pay pay, uh, air fees. But until I have a glorified body, I can't do that. That's just the reality. But God does take us from A to B to C to D. All I'm trying to say to you this morning is, are you and I being faithful with moving from step A to step B and then to step C? Or are we expecting to go from A to Z, like that. And we want God to do it all for us. So, I want to say this this morning. This invitation to draw near to God is simply God's invitation to us to take Him seriously. To take Him seriously. He wants an intimacy with us. As we take Him seriously, He will take us Seriously, Remember what God said to Abraham in Genesis 22. He said, look, I can see that you fear me, that you love me. You have not withheld your son from me. And that happens as we welcome God. That happens as we choose him and we welcome him into our lives. And we say, Lord, I want to draw close to you.
Jesus said this to, I conclude with this, in Revelation, in the church to Laodicea, he said this, to those that I love, again, let's listen to the language, to those that I love, I reprove, I discipline, and then he says this, so be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. So when you feel God teaching you by his Spirit, that's why the writer to the Hebrews says, don't harden your hearts. At that moment, you feel, Holy Spirit, you are testing me, you are, you are teaching me, rather. At that moment, be zealous. Zealous means to do it with all of your heart. Be zealous and repent and say, God, I choose to embrace your way for my life. And then he goes on and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, in other words, if anyone wants to enjoy intimacy with me, he must open the door and I will come to him and I will eat with him. There's an invitation to intimacy. There's an invitation to all of us to draw near to God. And I want to encourage you this morning. That's it. it is his invitation to us, every single one of us. Amen?